Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Welcome back. We're walking through Lost in Transnation, a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness by Dr. Miriam Grossman. And we are in chapter nine. Today we learn about the legal system. Um, and as you've already heard and, and listened to, hopefully, uh, there's a lot going on in all, all the systems. So this is now about the legal system. The stories here are critical. So I want you to kind of ready, get ready to hear some really heartbreaking stories and see how this might apply to you as you prepare well. I walked into the Starbucks in St. Paul and saw Hank. This is Dr. Grossman speaking. He was exactly as I'd expected. A few weeks earlier, he'd posted a comment on the PITT substack, Parents with in Inconvenient Truths About Trans, about the ordeal he went through with his daughter, and I was intrigued. He was eager to meet and share his story. Hank sat there in jeans and a plaid flannel shirt, three large office storage boxes on the floor, overstuffed with files, his daughter's medical and legal records he wanted me to see. Hank, a car mechanic, was the definition of salt of the earth. He didn't mince words. He wore his heart and his Christian faith on his sleeve. What you see is what you get. As I carefully filed through the documents, Hank began his story. Olivia is a teenager now, but the trouble started much earlier when she was only four. Her mother was always out of the box. Still, everyone was shocked when she ran off in love with a man in Panama she'd met online. One day she was home with Hank and Olivia and the next day she wasn't. Olivia was never the same. She blamed herself no matter how many times her dad, therapist, and eventually her loving stepmom and stepbrother said it wasn't her fault. She was emotionally disturbed and didn't fit in at school. In sixth grade, a bully told her to kill herself and she started cutting. That began a string of hospital visits, nine over the next four years. I read through the many evaluations and daily notes of psychiatrists, psychologists, and social workers. I didn't have to read much to know that Olivia suffered from significant mental illness. She had persistent severe depression and self-loathing and an eating disorder. She also lacerated herself from head to toe. Hank handed me a sheet, part of the intake form uh, from one of Olivia's earlier hospitalizations. I gazed at the body diagram illustrating innumerable lacerations up and down her each arm, thigh, and leg, on her chest and belly. Into her flesh she carved, die, whore, and other words a child shouldn't know. She looked like a cutting board, Hank said. I've seen an awful lot in my 40 years of psychiatry, but that diagram was shocking. Olivia was 12 years old at the time. The records indicated Olivia had hallucinations. Voices told her to kill and starve herself. The voices bully me all day long, she told staff. I don't deserve to live. I read how she overdosed on pills and planned to hang herself from a tree. Aside from eating disorder, depression, and anxiety, Olivia diagnose, Olivia's diagnoses included psychotic disorder, emerging borderline personality disorder, and schizophrenia. During her third hospitalization, she developed a crush on another patient. 
an older girl who identified as a boy. Olivia never had issues with gender, but she soon announced her new name, Maddox. I don't want to be a woman like my mom, she told Hank. He and his wife did not accept her boy identity, and Olivia had a tantrum. Hank told her, you can't become a boy. It's impossible. You must figure all this out. But Olivia became militant. Back at the hospital, the staff were on board with Maddox, and, you guessed it, Hank and his wife were in trouble. Dad and stepmom are unsupportive, one psychologist wrote. They are ultra-Christian and do not accept Maddox as their son. They continue to use his birth name. Being the straight arrow that he is, Hank told therapists Olivia is a girl and would always be his daughter no matter what. The issue, he ventured to suggest, wasn't her gender. It was the abandonment by her mother. Why was nobody asking her about that? Why was everyone fixated on names and pronouns? An investigation. Hank and his family were already going through hell. With his bold defiance of the Articles of Faith, he did not fathom the abyss into which he would he was about to descend. For failing to accept Maddox for his constant dead naming and misgendering, Hank was reported by the hospital social worker to Child Protective Services, CPS. The allegations were emotional abuse and physical and emotional neglect. An investigation was opened. Hank had been fighting to save his daughter from, from herself. Now he had another battle. CPS showed up at his door demanding to interview his stepson. Hank refused. Then they discovered he attends a Bible-believing church. It was a big problem for them, he, Hank told me. They gave me edicts. They told me I must think about how my beliefs affect others. It sounded unlikely to me. Perhaps Hank was exaggerating. He was not. I found a document from the state of Minnesota Superior Court Juvenile Matters called Specific Steps. It stated Hank's and his wife were, quote, ordered to take part in counseling and make progress toward the following goals. Explore how your own past and present values and beliefs impact the way you function and how you interact with others, and learn and utilize new parenting techniques related to parenting a teenager with mental health and gender identity issues. The, the state declared Hank was the problem. Explore your values and beliefs. Learn new parenting techniques. Their message was clear. If you want to behold onto your child, you better forget about the, your Bible and your church, buddy, and toe the line. Sure, Olivia was psychotic, hearing voices, carving up her body, starving herself, overdosing, and looking for a tree from which to hang herself. Even while taking four psychiatric medications, it was so she was so unstable as to require hospitalization every few months. Her mental illness was severe and her connection to reality tenuous. Didn't matter. Everyone involved with Olivia's care at the hospitals and at CPS were devotees of the Articles of Faith. Gender identity is sacred. Thou shall honor the self-diagnosis of children. As I listened to Hank and read more and more of Olivia's hospital and legal records, I was dumbfounded. In one note, a therapist asked Olivia about her gender identity. It depends on the day, she replied. What about her sexual orientation? One day it's one thing and the next day it's something else. Yes, Olivia's gender and sexual identity certainly were, as they say, fluid. In plain language, she was one mixed up girl. Again, it didn't matter. She claimed at one point to be a boy and for the hospital staff, that was that. The issue for them, it seems, was Hank wasn't an ally. CPS left a note on his door. You are to blame that Maddox is not getting better because you did not affirm him. 
Olivia continued to go in and out of hospitals. Hank and his wife wouldn't budge on the gender issue. A friend advised him to lawyer up, but it wasn't easy. Nobody wanted to touch such a hot potato. He eventually located a, and hired a courageous one. Hank handed me another document from the state. This one showed CPS made allegations in juvenile court that Olivia is neglected and uncared for. She was being denied proper care and attention, and she lived under conditions injurious to her well-being. You're probably wondering, what in the world? Okay, she was called Olivia at home, and not Maddox, but neglected and uncared for? Conditions injurious to her well-being, really? Well, I'll explain. Not long ago, lawyers in Hank State had an idea. Reinterpret abuse and neglect. Being steeped in ideology, they believe gender identity to be the permanent, authentic self, and any response to coming out aside from immediate validation could lead to suicide. According to the reinterpretation, Hank's insistence on calling his daughter Olivia was emotionally abusive, and his rejection of affirming care was medical neglect. That's how CPS could make those outrageous allegations, because of the reinterpretations. Allegations substantiated. One day when Olivia was 14 and being discharged from the hospital, Hank arrived to take her home, but he learned it wasn't going to happen. The hospital couldn't discharge Maddox to him because family court was placing Olivia in foster care. Hank showed me another document from CPS, notification of investigation results. The charges of emotional abuse and neglect was substantiated. On the next page was the statement, I disagree with the findings that I have abused or neglected a child. And next to it, a box where Hank had placed a big X. Hank continued the story. Olivia was put in foster care with two gay men. With this, Hank stopped and peered at me quizzically. Two men? He asked. To this day, he couldn't understand the decision by CPS. But she needed a healthy woman in her life, he told me, shaking his head. Hank was not provided with an address or phone number for his daughter. He told me how he and his lawyer disputed the investigation results and how he fought to see Olivia. There were countless motions and hearings, but Hank didn't give up. He wrote his state representatives and health and human services. In the midst of the uh, Casquel ordeal, Hank made a discovery. I kept getting EOBs from my health insurance with laboratory charges for Olivia. I wondered, is something wrong? Why does she need so much, so much blood work? My lawyer discovered they put my daughter on hormones. I was completely against hormones and my attorney made that clear to the court, but the men Olivia lived with advocated for blockers and testosterone and they were authorized by a CPS medical panel. I knew before our meeting that Hank's story was going to be rough to hear, but with each passing minute, it was getting more hideous. This went on for a few years, Hank explained. I was unable to see Olivia and she wouldn't accept mail or gifts from us. She cut, her, cut herself off from even her cousins and grandparents. My insurance was paying for the testosterone and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. If I continued the fight, CPS would force me into therapy and interrogate me and my family. I, would also, uh, I was also worried I could lose my estate if I die because the estate um, could take my money for all her treatments. I have another child to care for. We had no contact for two and a half years and she was almost 18. I couldn't take it anymore, so I relinquished my parental rights. I spoke to Harry Hank's lawyer uh, about the case. CPS is dangerous, she told me. Parents need to know they have a right to representation from the first moment of contact. Lawyers' dangerous ideas. In medical school, this is Dr. Grossman, I learned about child abuse and neglect. 
And later on, as a doctor in a busy New York emergency room, I came across such cases. For example, once I saw a child in need of an urgent blood transfusion, but her parents wouldn't permit it on, a, on religious grounds. Another time I had a 13-year-old with a mouth full of rotten teeth. He'd never been to the dentist. There were kids who kept showing up with poorly explained black eyes and burns and broken bones. In these cases and others, following consultation with the hospital social worker, I sometimes reported my suspicions of neglect or abuse to CPS. That was my professional obligation, and that's what I did. I know CPS serves an important role when families must be investigated, and in those rare instances when a child must be removed from their home. But parents calling their child by their given name is emotional abuse? And refusing interventions that validate their child's impossible identity is medical neglect? No, absolutely not. Lawyers' new interpretations mean parents like Hank are in the same category as the parents I met who never took their kid to a dentist or refused a life-saving blood transfusion. That's preposterous. Hank's position, grounded in reality, was the one every responsible adult must take. Olivia was a girl, and that would never change. To endorse her false belief was not kindness. If Hank was guilty of anything, it was the crime of having common sense and speaking the truth fearlessly. The number of cases in which courts adopt the reinterpretations and decide against parents like Hank who oppose their child's social transition and medicalization is rising. In Arizona, parents who insisted their daughter is a girl lost custody. In Dallas, a judge awarded full custody to an affirming mom ordering the father he must consent to her decisions regarding medical interventions. In Indiana, a court removed a minor from his parents' custody because they refused to accept his female identity. In California, an affirming mother received full custody while the non-affirming father was banned from seeing or even speaking to his son. After being grilled on his views about transgenderism, the father learned the judge, Joni Hiramoto, had affirmed her own child. Hiramoto claims to have queried whether she needed to recuse herself, but I suspect that she was less than forthright about her ability to be impartial, especially in light of the fact that she presented a continuing education course in which she basically stated that the parent who will support the child's delusion is always the more fit parent. She shared her panel uh, with one of the most prolific transgender activists, attorney Asaf Orr, a le lead author of the HRC's Schools in Transition, a guide for supporting transgender students in K-12 that counsels teachers that in a custody battle, they should testify on behalf of the parent who will support transition. The best interest of the child. California Assemblymember Lori Wilson, who also transitioned her daughter, and Senator Scott Weiner, a childless gay man who authored SB 48 to teach transgenderism starting in kindergarten, discussed previously co-authored AB 957, a bill to codify what's already happening in family courtrooms. This bill will tip the scale in custody and visitation battles. It states that courts should strongly consider that affirmation is in the best interest of the child, especially when faced with a non-consenting parent who objects to the minor's gender identity. With a supermajority of Democrats, the bill has already passed the assembly and has little impediments to become the law, a law that will spread to the other states, including red ones. The acceptance of child's self-diagnosis and the immediate use of preferred names and pronouns are articles of faith. It's not up for debate. Having read this far, you understand that so far, our so-called social affirmation is a controversial social psychosocial intervention for which evidence of long-term benefit is lacking.
There's evidence, however, that it may solidify a child's false identity, increasing the likelihood of risky medical interventions. Nevertheless, social affirmation is being legalized or legislated as the soundest approach for every child. The legislation will lead to more demonization of dissenting parents, usually fathers, more destruction of parent-child bonds, and more disfigurement and sterilization of young people. Yet proponents talk about the best interest of the child. I don't think so. If AB 957 passes the state of California's, will will be warning parents, they better lie or else. They better lie to their child, lie to the world, and ultimately lie to themselves. It may already be too late, but I hope there are still some who will heed Jordan Peterson's wisdom. He says, the way that totalitarian states develop is that people give up their right to be, to exist, with their own thoughts. They lie. The individuals sacrifice their own souls to the dictates of the state. You falsify your being bit by bit. So beware, parents. If you refuse to go along with your child's new persona and fail to provide her with affirming care, in other words, if you won't sacrifice your soul, you may be found guilty of emotional abuse and medical neglect. A judge could then rehome your child. If that isn't horrifying, I don't know what is. Back to Sage's story. You remember Sage. Her school permitted her secret social transition when she was 14. And she then met a sex trafficker posing as a 16-year-old boy on a trans support site. We left her story when she was saved by the FBI after nine days of sexual abuse. Sage's grandparents drove all night to pick her up and bring her home. The back seat of the car filled with blankets and stuffed animals. Eager to see Sage, after such a harrowing separation, they discovered she'd been assigned an attorney and could not return home without a hearing. Her grandmother, Michelle, described the Maryland court scene. Sage comes in or comes up on a huge Zoom screen. She looks tiny and broken, and I cry out, I love you, Sage. Sage says, I love you too, Nana. The public defender, Isa Khan, quickly takes over and points the finger at us for calling her Sage. She's a he, and his name is Draco, not Sage. We're floored. The attorney proceeds to advise the judge that we are emotionally and physically abusive parents and that we aren't using the right name and pronouns. We were willing to use any name and pronouns. I just wanted her back home. But my husband, he's 73, he was overcome with tears. He kept forgetting to use male pronouns, so the judge got so upset and exasperated he had the bailiff take him out of the courtroom. I am crying and pleading for my daughter to be sent home so she can receive treatment for the trauma she endured. Judge Kershaw told me if I said trauma one more time, he would throw me out, too. So we had to leave without her. For two months, Khan tried to prove Michelle and her husband were abusive even bringing in school counselors to testify against them. During that time, Sage was housed in, guess you, you yeah, can you guess? A home for disturbed teen boys, where she was, yes, assaulted again. Listen closely. Had Sage's school prohibited social transitioning instead of encouraging it, if the boys' bathroom was off limits to her, if the school had shared and not concealed her gender struggles with her parents, if the words abuse and neglect were still interpreted in a reasonable manner, this nightmare, this dreadful horror, none of these words seem adequate, would not have happened. It was entirely preventable. Sage told her math teacher she was going to run away and the teacher gave her a backpack. Sage disappeared for months. 
Michelle dived into Sage's social media and her daughter was finally located, locked away in a room in Texas, trafficked again. There's even more to this story about Attorney Khan and Judge Kershaw, enough to fill an entire book, maybe two. You can look up the details yourself. No one should ever suffer what poor Sage and her parents endured. Cleared of charges and with effective legal representation, Michelle and her husband finally brought Sage home. She'd been gone almost a year. Reflecting on her past confusion, she told her grandmother, I never was a boy. Everybody was doing it. I just wanted to have friends. Sound familiar? Sage had early trauma and comorbidities, and her peers were all LGBT, emo, and goth. Seeking acceptance, she became Draco. Yup. Another case of rogued, rapid onset gender dysphoria. I'm going to be generous here and assume all the people whose actions ha led to cat catastrophe um, had good intentions. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Sage's school counselor, her lawyer, Issa Khan, and Judge Kershaw never heard of Lisa Littman and Dutch, the Dutch Protocol or GIDS. They're unaware that the few studies we have on kids like Sage are poor quality, there's no consensus on how to help them, and some experts oppose new names and pronouns. They only know one thing. Parents like Sages are abusive and drive their kids to suicide, hence their mighty effort to prevent her return home. I'm not saying everyone at every school or every judge, lawyer, and CPS agent is entrenched in radical gender ideology. I'm saying some are, and you must be prepared. Will the CPS agent at your door or the judge deciding your case see things as you do? Will they help your troubled child or endanger them? Or are they activists with medicalized children of their own, fervent devotees of the Articles of Faith, following the Castro consensus, trusting the affirmation lobby? In the legal system, it's Russian roulette. Maybe the judge or CPS agent will be reasonable. They may compromise and permit use of a child's nickname or the first syllable of her name, new name, Parents sometimes come up with creative solutions to, to the name issue. I want to recognize that social work agencies also have, um, have among them, uh, among their ranks, individuals who truly protect children and families. Brett in Illinois had an unexpected visit from a social worker after she posted a celebratory message about her daughter's desistance. Brett's post became the target of harassment by a radical group who sicked the DCFS on her claiming her daughter, Anna, was being abused. Thankfully, after meeting Anna and being shown the social media evidence, the social worker confirmed it wasn't Anna who was being abused. Instead, she counseled Brett to file a police report. Brett, I'm lucky I had one Department of Child and Family Services social worker that I showed her my tweet and the messages I had, and she was just like, I'm scared for you, actually. I think you guys are in danger, but you're not the cause of the danger. And she was the one who actually made me file a police report. Like I said, it's Russian roulette. One thing is sure, never go it alone. As parents, you have rights, including the right to forbid a CPS agent from entering your home and questioning you with legal counsel. Yaeli's story. 16-year-old Yaeli Galdamez was bullied at her Los Angeles school and suffered from anxiety and depression. She learned about being transgender from a school counselor, an LGBT group, and the mother of a trans-identified girl, a.k.a. A glitter mom. Glitter moms are usually LGBT or have an LGBT child. They imagine themselves saviors of children from homes less rainbow-friendly than theirs. Soon Yaeli informed her mom, Abigail, that her name was Andrew. 
Her mother considered the new identity a symptom of her emotional issues. She didn't agree with her new name and pronouns, and she certainly wouldn't permit hormones. One day, Abigail and Yaley got into a fight over an iPad, and Yaley, aided by the glitter mom, ran away. She was lured by the promise that anyone older than 12 can dictate their own medical care once in the California foster system. And so began another dreadful saga of a disturbed adolescent, indoctrinated to believe she's in the wrong body, that fleeing biology is the sole solution, and that anyone in her way is transphobic. And yet another epic failure of the educational, social services, medical, and legal institutions charged with protecting her. Abigail searched for hours and found Yaley, who then claimed she'd been physically abused by her mom. She'd been coached to lie by her allies. When her claims were unsubstantiated, Yaley asserted she was emotionally abused because her mom didn't affirm Andrew. Using the new interpretation, the court agreed and removed Yaley from uh, Abigail's home. She tried her best to get her daughter back, going to court every month, desperate to keep a connection. Abigail played by the rules. She used her daughter's chosen name even as they changed. She was visited regularly by members of the trans advocacy group RISE. One of them encouraged her to have a funeral for your daughter and adopt your son. Abigail said they told her not to talk about God with Yaley. They told me if you do that, you'll never see your daughter. While the legal wrangling continued, Yaley, age 16, was brought to the gender clinic at Children's Hospital Los Angeles and given testosterone. Abigail, an immigrant with English as a second language, did not stand a chance against the well-funded gender center. The lawyers trying to make their names as civil rights heroes and the judges who were trained that Yaley's male identity was real and immutable. Rise convinced the court that Yaley needed testosterone and to be saved from her family. Abigail lost custody. For three years, Yaley moved from facility to facility, sleeping on floors and struggling with mental and physical anguish. By the time she turned 19, after three years of testosterone, her mental health had not improved. It didn't turn out as Yaley had been promised. Life as a boy didn't free her from pain. This was one instance in which rejecting biology was literally a dead end. One day, Ailey walked down to the railroad tracks, knelt between the cold metal rails, and removed herself from this world. When Abigail showed up, the police urged her to look away. Her daughter's body had, been, had to be picked up in pieces off the tracks in a tree. Instead of acknowledging that transition fails to resolve suicidality, the cruel media's spin was that Abigail abandoned Ailey. If only she'd been supported, her daughter's gender to journey, they uh, want you to think. Yaley would have been fine. Only followers of the Articles of Faith believe such garbage. Sage's Law. For a brief time, it appeared, it appeared something positive might emerge from Sage's year in purgatory. Virginia's Child Protective Act, nicknamed Sage's Law, was proposed to protect kids like her in three ways. It required schools to notify parents if their child asserts a gender different from his or her sex. It prevented school counselors from withholding or encouraging minors to withhold information about a child's gender identity. And it asserted that raising a child according to his or her biological sex may not be construed as abuse. Sage's law was passed by the Republican-controlled State House, but defeated in the Senate Education and Health Committee on a 9-6 vote with all Democrats voting against the bill and all Republicans voting for it. Michelle testified in support of the bill. Sadly, some legislators ignored her wise words.
she said. We love our children more than any counselor, judge, or teacher. They have no business teaching our children what gender and they, they are, and certainly no business teaching them to keep secrets from their parents. Let us parents do our job. We know our children better than you do. After four hours, Hank and I were both weary. It would take me time to absorb everything I'd seen and heard I told him. As he stood in the parking lot, he returned to what was for him the most mysterious element of the entire saga, the state placing Olivia with two gay men. He shook his head incredulously, but she needs a healthy woman in her life. I told Hank he was right. He was a car mechanic, but he had more wisdom than all the doctors and social workers put together. As we said our goodbyes, Hank pressed me, please doctor, tell my story. Describe what they did to us. I want the world to know. I promised him I would. And so I have. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Life Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.